Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're in Psalms 37 this morning and uh, we have been looking at Psalms for difficult days, for troubling times, and for um, seasons full of worry. And so this morning we're in Psalm 37. So if you have your Bible, we'd encourage you to follow along in Scripture. Uh, This psalm has 40 verses in it. We're going to read it in its entirety. When we look at Psalm, this is a psalm written by David, and it's a psalm when you need direction. There are moments in our life where there are crossroads and there are decisions to be made in our life, and And oftentimes, it's not so much a right or wrong decision that is in front of us. Most of the time, if it's a right or wrong decision, we kind of know what to do. We know what sin is. We know what it looks like to make a sinful or a selfish decision. We know what it looks like to lie, cheat, and steal. And so those decisions are are pretty easy. Uh, Should I cheat on this test or not? Well, that one's pretty easy, isn't it? Should I steal or should I not? Well, that one's pretty easy. Uh, Should I gossip or should I not? Uh, That's debatable, I guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's a simple one, right? If it's an obvious sin, then the decisions are pretty simple, right? But most of life, as I understand it and as I've lived, is not so much the right or wrong decisions. It's the wise or unwise decision. It's where if you go left or right, that neither one of them is maybe a sinful option, but it becomes necessary for us to dig deep and say, Lord, what is the wise decision to make? Uh, Should I move? Right? Should I move homes? Um, Should I refinance my home or not? Should, um, Should I take this promotion or not, because it's going to mean more hours, it's going to be more responsibility, uh, but it's going to be more pay and maybe a few more benefits, and, and maybe, but it's going to take more time away from my, there's the need to pursue a wise decision. Uh, should I pursue this relationship in my life? Should I move forward with starting a business? There's no sinful options here. And so when both options are good, it becomes really necessary for us to make a wise decision. So what does it look like for us to make wise decisions? And so outside of a, a template of making a wise decision, uh, if you if you to bounce off those options for a few people, um, you might just get someone who says, well, you need to go with your gut. I don't trust my gut very often. It leads me to some bad, bad, bad places. Um, and so outside of a template for making a decision, maybe you, you, you do some Googling on, uh, on the two options and you come up with a, 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 a pro and a con list. How many of you like doing that? You make a pro and a con list and you see which outweighs and if there's more cons than pros, then, then maybe it's not the best decision. And so scripture gives us a lot of guidelines on what it looks like for us to actually make wise decisions, or when you need direction in your life. And Psalms 37 gives us a window into what you should process in this kind of decision-making. What are the action items we would enact in order to gain direction from our life? Now, it's written by David. If you were to describe David in one single word, what are some of the words you would use? Oh, he was impulsive? (laughs) 
Okay, so in his youth, uh, he was definitely impulsive. He, uh, he operated by his instincts a lot. When he saw something he liked, he pursued it. Uh, if you were to describe who David is, what's another word you would use to describe David? He was dedicated. He loved his family. What is he known for the best? He was brave. Carol said that, yeah. You know, he was in his youth. We don't know how old he was, but in his youth, he... Uh, he battled uh, a lion and a bear, I believe I'm getting that right. And then, of course, he faced Goliath. It's interesting because when I picture David, those are the things I remember. I think about David as a young man. I think about David as the warrior, the, the guy who, who, who had the slingshot and he took down Goliath, the one who said, well, why isn't anyone else fighting him? Why don't we just go forward? Who can defy the armies of the Lord? This is David. And yet David lived a long, full life. Now, we don't know when Psalm 37 was written, but when you read it and when you hear it today, I'm going to ask you to consider David at the end of his life. I want you to consider David uh, with gray hair, or maybe no hair. Um, I want you to consider him walking with a cane, perhaps. I want you to consider him after all the years of life that he has lived, not necessarily the young warrior, but the wise old king. Because I believe this is the David that wrote this psalm. Again, we don't know exactly when he was written, but chances are it was after David had lived his life, when he was old, uh, when he had a few more bumps and bruises with a bit of wisdom. And so I want you to appreciate the weight of David's words here. Let's read Psalm 37. I have to get there first. Psalm 37. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away and like spring flowers, they soon wither. Rather, trust in the Lord and do good. And then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Verse 6, he will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. And soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. Verse 12, the wicked plot against the ungodly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs. For he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own heart, and their bows will be broken. It's better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. 
For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine they will have more than enough. But the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field, and they'll disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. Verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fail, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous to others, and their children are a blessing. Turn from evil, do good, and you will live in the land forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's laws on their own, and so they will never slip from his path. Verse 32, the wicked wait in ambush for the godly, looking for an excuse to kill them. But the Lord will not let the wicked succeed or let the godly be condemned when they are put on trial. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path, and he will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I have seen the wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in its native soul. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I couldn't find them. Look at those who are honest and good, for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Verse 40 The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him. Psalm 37. In these verses, we hear some action items that David took when he absolutely needed direction. And you'll find they'll be incredibly relevant for us today as well. So, we'll begin here. First action item is this. What do you do when you need direction? Well, first of all, don't compare yourself with those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ. Don't compare yourself with those who, aren't, have, who don't have the same values as yourself. Uh, look at Psalm 37, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 73, and when we looked at Psalm 73, we saw the psalmist Asaph, and he was so discouraged because when he looked at the wicked, when he looked at those who weren't following Christ, it appeared to him that they experienced very successful lives. And Asaph couldn't make sense of it. He couldn't understand, well, if these people are not following after the things of God, why is it they get to enjoy success? Why do they have a nicer car? Why do they have a bigger home? Why does it appear that they have better looking skin? Why do they prosper? 
Asaph had the same struggle. David has it here as well. And yet he learned, don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. David and Asaph came to the same conclusion that their success, any success they have, is temporary. And he says the grass is green on the other side, but it's only green for a season. In fact, it withers quickly. This verse in verse 1 says, uh, do not fret. In other words, don't worry. Worry comes naturally to us, doesn't it? 60% of United States adults are feeling daily stress. The other 40 are lying. The, the words do not fret go beyond don't worry. It literally means in the, in the original language, it means don't get heated. Don't get all worked up. Don't allow the successes of those you believe who are not following God work up in your system. Don't get heated up. Don't worry about them. In fact, in your decision-making process, when you need direction, don't compare yourself with those who aren't following Christ. Why is this so important? Well, we live by different uh, values. We live by different values. We have kingdom values that God has given in and oftentimes in the world, what we'll find is selfish values. We live by a different timetable. We believe that there is a life to come, that there's eternity, that there's eternal life. We live by different ethics. We have personal ethics um, that, that are set by God and His Scripture. And sometimes it's difficult to see those who aren't following God, those who will be in the world when they succeed, and if we're not careful and we start comparing our lives to them, all of a sudden what ends up happening to ourselves is we start making decisions um, so we could get a little closer to that life that we see. He goes on in verse 7 and he says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Don't fret or worry when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. He goes on in verse 12 and 13, the wicked will plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord, what does he do? Verse 13, he laughs at the wicked. For he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the Bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But the swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. So here David contrasts the fate of the wicked versus the fate of the righteous. And there's this inevitable conflict between the righteous and the wicked. How without reason, the wicked seem to plot against the righteous. Without reason, it shows their anger and hatred for the things of God. And yet for all their plotting and gnashing, they accomplish nothing against the Lord and His people. In fact, God's response to the wicked plotting, God's response to their uh, their, their, uh, their anger towards the righteous. And verse 13 is this, the Lord laughs at the wicked. That's an amazing visual if you can, I don't think of God laughing very often. I think of a, a heavenly father and I think of him as wise and discerning and, and certainly um, uh, righteous in judgment. But here the psalmist David is uh, painting a picture of of God in heaven laughing at the schemes of the wicked. 
Now, if the schemes of the wicked are enough to make God laugh, it should make it uh, something where we don't get all worked up about. Where we don't get heated knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that he is righteous. So what does it look like to be influenced by the world? Let me just give you some ideas of what we're talking about. Sometimes when we think in uh, spiritual dynamics and we stay with uh, spiritual examples, it's hard for us to understand what is the practical application for us today. So what does it look like to be influenced by the world? Um, This would be abiding by no sexual ethics. This is the world we live in. We live in a world where the sexual ethics that are being taught are very fluid. And that goes contrary to Scripture. And if we start comparing our lives to those who seem to be prosperous or idolize or emulate or even honor those whose lives we would like to gain, but they're not righteous, and all of a sudden we're comparing our lives to them, we're comparing our worlds to them, we start comparing our thoughts, and then when we start comparing our values to them, it can be dangerous for us to start adopting values and ethics there. The Bible's very clear about sexual ethics. It's very clear about the relationship between a man and a woman and what marriage is entitled to. Uh, Here's another example. Um, Enacting revenge over generosity. We live in 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 a society that says you need to get yours. And if you, are, if you are wronged, you need to enact in revenge. If you, are, if, you are, uh, if you are wronged, then you need to wrong the other. This is not a scriptural value. Christ teaches us to, to, to be... Um, you give out Halloween on candy? Or you give Halloween on candy? Man... This is what happens when I don't read from my notes. I make up words like palatious. How many of you were here for palatious a few weeks ago? You ever give out candy on Halloween and you just give it out, right? With no regard to what they're dressed up as or how they appear at your door. You're just generous. This is the way the Bible teaches us to be with our love, our compassion, our finances, were to be generous. And yet, if you compare yourselves to those who you think, boy, um, uh, they, they, they succeed a whole lot. I, I kind of want to know how they succeed. Uh, I know they don't follow Christ, but I know they probably have some good things to say. And all of a sudden, you find yourself adopting their values and ethics, and revenge starts becoming the way you enact in relationships rather than being generous in grace and forgiveness. Uh, Let me give you another example of what it means to be influenced by those who are not followers of Christ. Don't worry, don't fret about those who would work against us. Um, The idea of just going into debt without thought. Irresponsible debt. It's a a value, it's a principle that is taught in society that, that if you can't have it now, it's because... You haven't put it on credit yet. And the irresponsible debt that allows people to be chained 
instead of living a free and a generous life, this is a principle that's against Scripture. A few months ago, I had a friend who has had a lot of questions about money, and so we read through Proverbs together, and we charted every single verse on Proverbs that had to do with money. And it's a fascinating thing to do. And you know what I learned? We're supposed to get money so we can give it away. Proverbs basically says that. That the reason you work hard, the reason why you earn money, the reason why you save money is so that when someone is in need, you can give it away. So if we indulge ourselves with values and ethics that aren't of the kingdom of God, our trajectory for our life becomes just a little off, just a little askew. And look at their end from David's perspective. The wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will, go, they will be consumed and go up in smoke. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. So, action item number one, don't compare yourself with those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ. Number two, trust your mind to Christ. So, Psalms 37, verse 3 and 4. Say this, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So wise old David is saying, instead of worrying and envying, take your trust and rest it on Christ. David advised against replacing, or uh, advised against worrying and envying, but instead of delighting in the Lord. Again, so what are the practical ways we trust in the Lord? Well, first, I think it's important that we declare to God what we're worrying about. So in your prayer time, today or tomorrow, say, Lord, I am worried about... And just tell him what you're worried about. I'm worried about, um, I was with some uh, families yesterday, and the common theme in some of the families seemed to be, uh, would you pray for the influences that surround my kids? That was the common theme. So, declare your worry to God. Lord, I am worried about the friends and the associations and the connections my kids have. And then declare our trust for God in that specific area. You see, trusting God is not just this word that we say, Lord, I trust in you. But it's this it's declaration where we will take him at his word. When he says that, um, uh, that if we are generous with, uh, with our, our, our finances, that he will make sure that, that we are taken care of. And all the promises in Proverbs and in the New Testament about taking care of those who take care of others and that God will, uh, that will give back to you what you've given in overwhelming fashion. The way you trust God in your finances is to give your finances. Um, the way to trust God in your relationships is to take revenge off the table and to act in compassion and kindness and graciousness. That's how you trust God. Trust God is not this mysterious idea where we just say, Lord, we trust you. But it's this, it's this practical way where we declare to God, I'm going to trust you this way. I'm going to trust you in my relationships. I'm going to trust you in my faithfulness or in my finances. Don't compare yourself with those who aren't followers, but then trust your mind to Christ. Because here's the interesting thing. As you trust your mind to Christ, it becomes easier to, number three, commit your behaviors to Christ. 
When we fix our minds, then come our behaviors. David reiterates the need to trust, and then he goes into a series of ways to commit our behaviors to the Lord. So what does it look like to commit your behaviors to the Lord? David becomes incredibly simple here. First of all, do good. Look at Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and, co- and enjoy safe pasture. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. But look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. In the face of indecision, in the face of not knowing which way to go, which way allows you to do good? Let that be a filter first. Because we are called to live in a way where we simply do good. Trust and do good. In the face of indecision, simply do good. Then he goes further. He says, do good and then live generously. Live very generously. Um, It's uh, verse 21, I believe. Yeah, look at verse 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give, how? Generously. This idea of giving should be this generous space in our heart uh, where, where it becomes a joy to give. It becomes a joy to serve others. It becomes a joy to give because we are giving generously from a heart that is not stingy, not full of spite or revenge, but we're simply trusting God. So we give generously. I would say this, he also says, leave an example for the next generation. It's an amazing verse here in verse 25 where he says this, I was young and now I am old. How many of you say, well, amen right there? I was young and now I'm old. So so look at what David says. He's lived his whole life. I've been young. I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor their children begging bread. They're always generous and lend freely. And their children will be a blessing. Verse 27, turn from evil, do good, and you will dwell in the land forever. Now some of these verses are kind of hard to understand and grasp sometimes because he clearly says, I've been old, I've been young, I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging bread. So this, uh, this imagery that he is painting is simply because of David's own experiences. Now, all of us could take the time to tell stories where even in our own family, we have been without. Or maybe you know of a family who followed God in all their things, and for one reason or another, they were in a position of need. So David is not saying this is exclusively what happens, but in his experience, he has found when you do good, when you live uh, and give generously, when you, when you take that upon yourself, the Lord takes care of your family. And he does so in a way, David is recalling the testimony of his own life that God cared for those who trusted in him. And so David's own desire is he wanted another generation to also trust in him. Learning from his own wisdom. So what does it look like to commit your behaviors? Do good, live generously, leave an example for the next generation. And now we see David saying this, speak wisdom and truth. Uh, Verse 30 says this, the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their, where is it? Their hearts 
and so their feet do not slip. Now this is interesting because he's talking about all of these different body parts. He says, uh, verse 30, the mouths uh, utter wisdom, the tongues speak what is just, their feet don't slip. It all hinges on verse 31, the law of the, law, law of the God is in their hearts. See, to speak wisdom and truth, we must embrace wisdom and truth. And the habit of embracing Scripture every day of your life will pay dividends. And here's the thing. It may not happen today. You may not see the fruit of what God is doing in your heart the same day you read Scripture. It might happen tomorrow, but there will be a moment. You will go through a crisis, and because you have taken the time and dedication to be in the Word, your feet will not slip. All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single, tiny decision. And as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger. Roots start to entrench themselves and branches grow. And the task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And yet the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. That's from the author James Clear. He's, 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 he's describing what it looks like to begin daily habits that are good for you. I've often told uh, myself and I, I've told um, other pastors, it's weird to have younger pastors than me uh, in my life. Um, it hurts when you laugh like that. Um, but it is, and one of the things I remember telling um, we have a group of pastors that meet almost every Thursday morning and we just have coffee and we pray and we share our lives together. And I said, man, at the, at the end of my ministry, I would just love for our church family to learn how to read this scripture and how to pray. I feel, I feel like if, if you could get a daily habit of embracing scripture in your life and praying, I would feel really, really, really proud of this church. Because here's the thing, it's like, let me put it in terms that I would understand. It's like eating a salad. The day I eat a salad, I don't lose any weight. Because the result of that decision doesn't show up on that day, but on multiple, multiple times making the right, good, healthy decision. And reading scriptures the same way. Embracing Scripture is the same way. Um, just because you read a verse today doesn't mean your sin quota is taken care of today. What it means is this. There will come a moment in your life where you go through the, the painful part of a relationship. And you'll feel alone. And you feel like nobody cares. And God will give you a Scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So cast your cares upon me because I care for you. There will come a moment in your life where you think, I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford to give this month. I don't know. The, it, it doesn't make sense for me to give charitably this month. And the Lord will give you a scripture that simply says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God his righteousness, 
And all these things will be added unto you. Scripture has a way of penetrating our hearts and penetrating our minds. And we can't speak wisdom and truth unless we first embrace it. You cannot speak something that hasn't first been put into your life. So the psalmist says, man, their mouths utter wisdom, their, their, their tongues speak wisdom, and their feet don't slip. Why? Because the law of the God, law of God is in their heart. Take the time to embrace Scripture in your life. Um, and I would say the Psalms are a great place to start if you need that habit. Don't compare yourself with those who aren't following Christ. Trust your mind to Christ. Commit your behaviors. And then fourth, fourth is hard, rest. Rest in God's sovereignty and his promises. His sovereignty and his promises. Look at verse 5 and 6 and 7 of Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make you your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. God has promised to faithfully take care of those who put their trust in him. Therefore, we get to rest in God's promises. Isn't this such a different posture than verse 1 where where we're worrying? Verse 1 says, don't fret, don't worry. And then he gets to verse 7 and he says, Be still. Rest before the Lord. It's such a different posture that we get to take. He goes on to describe the the contrast of good and evil in verse 9. He says this, Those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek will inherit the land. Jesus quoted this line in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and it unfolds the character of the meek or trusting person in the face of the apparent prosperity of the wicked and in the face of major decision where direction is needed. They will enjoy peace and prosperity. We go on. I want you to look at verse 16. He says this, Better the little the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 18, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. The reward or the seemingly apparent reward of the wicked is temporary. And yet the inheritance for us, the upright, is eternal. And He, God, is acquainted with all circumstances and He has enabled us to bear the circumstances that we're in. In fact, this is what He'll do for you. If you are going through an incredibly difficult time, you know, one of the things that it seems so uh, trite when people say it is, well, God doesn't give you anything more than He can handle. Sure, He does. It happens all the time. I've sat with people in my office who have been victims of abuse. I feel like that's more than they can handle. I deal with people whose relationships fall apart and marriages fall. I feel like that's more than you can handle. The beautiful thing about having a relationship with God is not that God won't give you anything more than he can handle. Because here's the thing. Life 100% will give you more than you can handle. The privilege of being a follower of Christ is we get to lean on Him 
in those moments, and it shows our own brokenness, our depravity, our own inability to do so on our own, and it is our ultimate moment where we get to lean into God's strength. And this is what he does for you in those moments. In those moments of, 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 of overwhelming indecision, God will either shorten the trial you're in or he will increase your power, is power in your life. Your trial will shorten or your strength will increase. Either way, God will look out for those who are his own. David continues in verse 22 and he says this, Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. But those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. And though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds with, I'm sorry, the Lord upholds him with his hand. You see, the, the, the reward for the righteous is not only in the age to come, yet in the present day, God guides the steps of a good man. He goes on in verse 28, the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will, completely, will be completely destroyed, and the offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The wicked lie and wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death, but the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. In verse 35, he goes on, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passes away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. So consider the blameless. Observe the upright. The future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. You see, the righteous men and women of the world get little attention. In the culture, our society is way more interested in the godless and in the wicked. And yet David counsels us to notice those who are following after Christ. Don't worry about those who aren't, but seek those who are blameless, who are righteous in this world, because the future of that is peace. And yet for the final time, David reminds the future of the wicked is no future to be desired. The last action item is this, move away from anger and towards hope. Are you in a moment of indecision and you need direction in your life? David counsels us, move away from anger. Look at uh, verse 8, he says this, refrain from anger, turn away from wrath, do not fret. It only leads to what? Evil. Hope in the Lord, verse 34, keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land where the wicked are destroyed. David wisely counsels us to give up anger, wrath, and worry. Now this might come as a surprise to you because as we all know, when we're angry, we make the best decisions. Our minds are clear. Our motives are easy. We think clearly. That's what anger does, right? And yet for some reason, we know how silly that sounds and yet for... There's a part of us that simply wants to make decisions when we're angry. Make major life decisions when we're angry. And yet David counsels us, counsels us. You know, Rita mentioned that David was impulsive during his life. So this is wise old David. Old David who's now looking back on his life and he said, refrain from anger. The only good thing that comes from there is evil. Don't make these decisions in anger, refrain from it, 
reminds us, David does, that salvation is from the Lord. Here's the thing. Comfort and joy are enjoyed when we rest and trust in the Lord. Your mind is a suggestion engine. I want you to think of your mind like, a, like an engine that just produces suggestions. And every thought that you have is a suggestion for you. It's not an order, but a suggestion. And sometimes your mind will suggest that you're tired and that you should give up or that you should consider an easier past, path. But if you pause, you will then discover your mind produces a new suggestion. That maybe you will feel good once the work is done or that you have the ability to finish the things when you don't feel like it. You see, your thoughts are not directives. Your thoughts are not orders. They're merely suggestions. And you have the power to choose which option to follow. And part of what influences your mind on what suggestions you give or your mind gets is... Where are your influences coming from? And if your influences are coming from your time in Scripture and your time on Sundays and your time in prayer and your time in worship, well, those suggestions you can act on. But if your suggestions are coming from your time uh, listening to to those who aren't following God, those who aren't giving sound uh, scriptural advice, those who uh, who are teetering on the edge of being Uh, bitter or revenge or angry, those suggestions that you get when you spend time there, those suggestions will lead you down the right path. And every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. And no single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes or decisions are built up, so does the evidence of your identity in Christ. So, this is a choice. Comfort and joy are enjoyed when we rest and trust in the Lord. This is a choice. David says, don't compare yourself with those who aren't followers. You will get values and ethics that will lead you astray. Trust your mind to Christ. Fill your mind with the things of Christ so that you will be able to commit your behaviors to the Lord. And then rest in His sovereignty. Rest in His promises. And as you make decisions, as you move forward, move away from anger and towards hope. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.